My name is Luis. I've been coming to Wooddale for uh, almost six years. <laughs> I'm Cal Monkfold. I've been going to Wooddale with her family for about 18 years. My name is Mary. I'm really excited about starting to get consistent about exercise and diet. I'm really excited about the spiritual aspect of working out and learning how to tie that all together in my whole body. My name is Dave Moore. I work over at Higher Power Training, been there since 2007. What are your thoughts? What are your goals for an end result? I'm not really very active, and I realized maybe a couple years ago that I needed to have some better habits. The nutrition is always the hardest part, but the training, that's where you're going to be like, okay, I can do this. My name's Melissa. I've been attending the Wooddale Learning Park campus for about three years. I'm Angie. I'm a mom. I'm a wife, and I am someone who is constantly overwhelmed and on the go. My hope is twofold, to spend time with my kids while also doing things that make me healthier. Hi, my name's Arlo Kemp. I am at Arlo Kemp Fitness. My name is Dave Nelson. I've been at Wooddale for 25 years. It's always good to increase your strength and be able to stand up and walk without having it hurt. Yeah, I wanna see you get stronger. I wanna see you enjoy life. My name is Yolanda Hunter. My friends call me Yo. I've been at Wooddale for 16 years. My name is Jossie Schirkenbach. My name is Shelly Schirkenbach. I have been trying to take better care of myself because I have lost many family members to type 2 diabetes. It's also something that I want to do. I want to prioritize self-care. I didn't do that in college. Right. So we're going to push each other, right? <laughs> Morning, everybody. Great to see all of you. and particularly our junior high students who I wish sat there every weekend just like that. That would make my entire week if you guys did that. Maybe I'd even provide you ice cream every week if you did that. <laughs> you like that idea? All right. All right, if you're lactose intolerant, we'll do something for that, okay? Just so you know, all right? Hey, listen, we're in our brand new series, Get Fit. And uh, if you would like to join us in that, our volunteer trainers and the folks that signed up for our little experiment here, if you'd like to follow their stories, but then also find ways that you can get fit in your um, uh, worship folder, you'll see there's a get fit section with the uh, place on our website that you can go to and you can kind of follow them and hear what's going on, but then you'll get some great tips to help you out as well because I don't want you to become pew potatoes. I thought it was funny. All right, but we are talking about getting fit, but we're not really focusing on physical fitness as much as using that a plat as a platform to talk about spiritual fitness and how important that is. So you'll be hearing a lot of illustrations that way. So for instance, I did a little research, and one of the most fit people in history is a guy that maybe some of you have heard his name. Have you ever heard of Jack LaLanne? All right, if you're my age, you've heard Jack LaLanne. Uh, Jack LaLanne uh, died in 2011 at the age of 96. And uh, the day before he passed away, he had a terrible, terrible cold. The day before he passed away, he still did his 90-minute workout, which he did every day. And uh, he was quite an amazing guy as you look at his history. Here's what he looked like when he was young, all right? And uh, kind of ripped, kind of impressive, all right? And then uh, when he got a little bit older, still strong and still impressive. But let me tell you about how impressive a guy he is. Uh, at the age of 40, he did 1,000 push-ups in 23 minutes. 
And it was on a show called To Tell the Truth. So it's, it's they're verifiable. Maybe you can YouTube it. I don't know. And then at the age of 60, he swam from Alcatraz to San Francisco Fisherman's Wharf while handcuffed and shackled and towing a boat. At age 70, he did the same thing in the Long Beach Harbor. So, I mean, really strong guy. And I wanted to tell you about this because I came across this quote. A journalist once asked him about all his exercising, and here's what he said. He says, I hate it. <laughs> he says, but I like the results. Exercise is something you've got to do the rest of your life. And it's true, right? I mean, I, I love to work out. Marsha likes to work out. But there's some days I hate it. I don't want to work out. But I know to stay fit, I need to work out. The same thing is true spiritually whether it's prayer or Bible study or being in church or um, memorization of Scripture and the various disciplines we have, sometimes you don't want to do it, right, students? Sometimes you just would rather skip it and go do video games or work on your homework, which you love. Uh, but, you know, you've got to do it. You've got to do it in order to stay spiritually fit. Speaking of fitness, by the way, we as a nation are becoming terribly unfit, now, I know this isn't going to be true of any of the students here, all right? But a study was done, the only kind of its, uh, of its type in the United States, and it was discovered that out of 50 nations, 5-0, American children rank 47th in terms of unhealthiness. That is not good. That we would be 47th out of 50 nations when it comes to our health and, and when it comes to being fit. Now, what's that all about, right? I mean, you can have all the gyms, you can have all the health clubs, you can have all the books, you can have all the programs, and probably no nation has more health clubs, gyms, and programs for health and fitness than America does. But just because you have it doesn't mean you use it. And that's going to change your life. Same thing is, you know, it's true spiritually. Just because you have it doesn't mean you're going to use it, doesn't mean it's going to change your life. You got all those tools. And I think the sad news is that um, just as we're becoming physically unfit as a nation, I would suggest to you, and I don't think I need to do much to prove it, that we're becoming uh, very spiritually unfit as a nation. And I would even go a little bit further to say I'm very concerned that the church in general in our country is becoming increasingly spiritually unfit. You can tell because when people don't have good fitness, when they don't have good diets, when they don't have good health, you end up with a lot more sickness, a lot more disease, a lot more problems. And when you're not spiritually fit, the same thing is true in a nation, the same thing is true, will be true in a church as well. And I wish I didn't have to mention this, but you know, we're reminded once again about how spiritually desperate we're becoming as a country when we witness the mass shooting in the last 24 hours in El Paso, Texas, and and 20 who were killed in that Walmart. And 26, some critically injured. And then just, you know, again, just, you know, in the last hours in Dayton, Ohio, uh, a, a shooting and killing and injury. And, you know, those make the news. But then there's what happens in our cities, whether it's Minneapolis or St. Paul or whether it's Chicago or L.A. or whether it's New York and, and on the list goes. And it just, it grieves my heart. And, you know, we're, it just keeps happening and happening. It's like we get numb to it. We're kind of accepting it. Why does it keep happening? And I, I don't know about you, but I get angry when it all gets politicized. I'll tell you why it keeps happening. It keeps happening because we're, we're turning our back towards God. 
And the, way you, and the more you move away from God, right, you're going to move into lawlessness. The more you depart from God's word, well, whose word or what word matters? And what our nation so desperately needs is spiritual revival, spiritual renewal. So students, I pray that as you guys go away this week, that God is going to do something dramatic in your life spiritually. And you'll come back and you won't lose it, but you'll keep it. And as a church, you know, I want, I want God to renew us spiritually. I want God to renew me spiritually. I want him to renew the church in America spiritually. We need a spiritual outbreak. We need a revival. A revival where we turn back to God and turn back to his word. And that's why we're talking about spiritual fitness. But before I go one step further, I just want to pray for our country. I want to pray particularly for the people who have been exposed to this horrible situation. Let's pray. Is that okay? Father, I just want to lift up to you situation right now in El Paso, situation in Dayton, and God, other situations that don't always make the news. Where people, Lord, are suffering, where people, Father, are injured, I pray, God, please have mercy on them, minister to them. I think of those, Lord, who are in the aftermath of shock at the loss of loved ones and loss, senseless loss of life. I pray, Lord, in these communities that your church will finally rise up. First of all, turn to you, O oh God. Seek your face and be Christ in this situation. Lord, help your church in America to experience a, a spiritual revival. Help us, Lord, to turn our hearts and our lives back to you and back to your word and back to the truth. Not, Lord, to wave and wag our finger at the culture, not to judge and condemn and be angry, but, Lord, point with hope and grace and love to the difference that Jesus makes. Help the world to see hope in us, we pray. Give us grace, we ask, in Jesus' name. And all God's people who agree, amen. Amen. We're back to spiritual fitness. How do we get spiritually fit? Well, if you go to a trainer... They'll talk to you about how important it is to get those core muscles around the spine, around your abdomen, your pelvis strengthened. A lot of people neglect that. But once those get strengthened, you have less injuries, you have better posture, and the rest of the muscles then can develop. And so we're going to have a trainer who's going to help us through developing our spiritual core muscles, and his name is James, and he wrote a little training manual in the New Testament. So turn open, if you will, to the book of James. I'm using the New Living Translation, and so you can turn open to that or turn on James in your uh, electronic Bible. And James is the half-brother of Jesus. So in, in a sense, physically, he's brothers with Jesus, but Jesus, of course, son of God. Spiritually, he's not uh, related to Jesus in that sense. But he certainly was influenced to Jesus, came to faith in, his, in, in Jesus after the resurrection, and became a leader in the Jerusalem church, the very first community of believers. He led there for 20 years, and then he was martyred for his faith. But he writes this little letter called the Book of James to uh, believing Messianic Jews who had been scattered throughout Asia Minor. That's how the church began, as Messianic Jews, but soon Gentiles came into the church, so it applies to all of us. He has 12 separate teachings in the book of James, but in chapter 1, he kind of summarizes them all, and he talks about the importance of our core spiritual strength. And one of the core spiritual strengths that he deals with is what I want to talk about this morning, and that is faithfulness. So how do we strengthen our faith? How do we strengthen our faithfulness to God? Now, I had a sermon prepared. I had a manuscript. I had all the lines, all my uh, points outlined nice and neat. 
And I had my quiet time yesterday morning, and I felt like God just blew it up. And, I, and so what happened was I was doing my quiet time in James, and I've been through James I don't know how many different times, and I just felt like God gave me different thoughts and insights. So we're going to put these points on the blog if you can't keep up, and I understand. I only have a few minutes, so i got to kind of power through them. But uh, we'll put it on the blog for you. But I ended up with all new notes, so I'm a little bit note-dependent today because of that. But I trust it was the Holy Spirit's leading. So here's the first thought, if you want to jot it down. It's pretty simple, actually. That is, faith is strengthened when placed in God alone. Faith is strengthened when placed in God alone. Let's start at James 1, verse 1. This letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, we could just stop there. Here's the half-brother of Jesus who recognizes the lordship of Jesus, says, I'm a slave of the Lord Jesus. I'm writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad, greetings. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. That just sounds weird, doesn't it? But you know, when you're lifting weights, one of the things you're going to find is if you want to get stronger, you have to have resistance. Lifting heavier weights, having, you know, kind of grunt through that actually stimulates the muscle and makes you stronger. So he's saying, listen, when bad things are coming your way, when difficult things are coming your way, instead of complaining about it, look at it as a way to build up your faith. He says, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. You know, in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is talking about the end of of time, and he says something quite profound in his words, verse 12. He says, sin will be rampant everywhere in the end times. Boy, we see that. And the love of many will grow cold. We're witnessing that in the news. But the one who endures the end will be saved. And so James is talking about this endurance. And the people living back then probably thought the end was coming for them. So he says, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. In other words, you'll, you'll, you'll become whole is what he's saying. Verse 5. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he'll give it to you. So James is saying, look, when you're going through hard times, ask God for wisdom. He's going to give it to you. Now, there's a condition. We'll run into it here. He will not rebuke you for asking, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea is blown and tossed by the wind. So these people had the temptation to put their faith in the emperor, to put their faith in Greek or Roman gods, to put their faith in uh, ancestors, to put their faith in empty religion or philosophy. James says, don't do it. Put your faith in God alone. Even if you're told that by putting your faith in the emperor, your life will be saved, and then you can go back and put your faith in Jesus, don't do it. If you want to endure, if you want to be strong, Faith in God alone. You know, strangely, those words are coming to us in our culture today as powerful reminders and encouragers because there's other things that we are so tempted to put our faith in. You'll see it in just a minute or two. Number two, faith is made stronger when there is no wavering between divided loyalties. Let's look at what he says in verse 7. 
So such people, the wavering people, should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Don't expect to receive wisdom is what he, meaning, what he means. Verse 8, their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. Now, he's going to give us a specific area of divided loyalties. Verse 9, believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. Reminds me of the Beatitudes of Jesus. And James borrows a lot from the Sermon on the Mount, and he borrows a lot from the book of Proverbs. You'll see it as you read through the book of James. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? Because they depend on God. Verse 10, and those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers, and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls, and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all their achievements. So what James is saying is, look, be careful. Don't, don't have divided loyalties. Don't put your faith, don't be loyal to wealth in one camp and try to be loyal to God in the other camp because you can't do both. And then he says, listen, your wealth, your, your possessions, all of that's going to pass away. You can't take it with you. That's why Jesus says, don't lay up your treasure. Don't lay up treasures for yourselves. Where? But Where? Very good. Don't lay up treasures for yourself here on earth, but lay them up in heaven, right? By, by being loyal and faithful to God. Now, I, I am reminded how important this word is for me. I hope you're reminded of it too, because we are a wealthy people. Don't compare yourself to the person who has a boat you wish you had or lived in the house you wish you lived in. Compare yourself to the average human being right now, and almost everybody in this room is very wealthy. And the danger with wealth, I didn't say wealth is bad, but the danger with wealth, the temptation of wealth, is to feel secure with it. And the more you have, the more secure you feel. And isn't it interesting in our culture, and since we have our students all sitting in here, isn't it interesting in our culture as parents how tempted we are to teach our students that life is all about getting the right grades, getting in the right school so you get the right job, so you will be successful, and so you'll have security. And so they spend their whole lives chasing that when all that stuff they're chasing after they can't take with them and in fact makes them insecure, not secure. What matters is God and learning to be loyal to God. Wealth is deceptive. Wealth takes you away from God. Wealth gives you a false sense of security. And so James is saying, don't put all your faith and hope in what won't last, what will be taken away. Is wealth bad? No, I'm not saying wealth is bad if I hold it loosely. There's a difference between this and this and using it for God's glory. And God has used many and still uses many wealthy people, including you and me, when we are yielded to him. Number three, Faith is made stronger when we focus on finishing well instead of chasing our desires. Faith is made stronger when we focus on finishing well instead of chasing our desires. Look at verse 12. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, so he's got the long view here. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. In other words, as long as you're in this world, you're going to have temptations. You're going to have tribulation. But this world isn't the end. 
This is this transitionary period that we're in where what we're called to be is to be faithful to God and a light and a witness for him. We're all heading toward a better land, which just happens to be here. Again, when it's all remade, it becomes the Eden that God had always designed it to be. We'll be back. <laughs> but I'm afraid we have this mindset, even as Christians, that this is it. This is, this is the end of it all. And so, you know, woe is me, all the horrible things that are happening. I want it to be a better world. Well, I want it to be a better world too, but it's going to be a, be a great world someday. But in the meantime, I've got to be his enduring witness while I'm here. He says in verse 13, remember when you are being tempted, do, do not say God has tempted me. God is never tempted to do wrong and never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So James is saying, take the long view of obedience. Live for the right cause. Don't chase your desires. Your desires will destroy you when they're out of alignment with God, when they're not God-given desires. And again, I, I, you know, I, it's not like I'm picking our society. I'm just telling you this is where we're at. As a society, we are increasingly living by our desires. Our society is such that now my desire is truth. And like the book of Judges, we are like the people who did right in their own sight. And so we live in a culture now that increasingly says, what is truth is what I feel. And it all goes back to Darwinianism, the whole mindset of Darwinianism, survival of the fittest. What matters is me. I've got to survive. And my feelings are what matter. And when you chase your feelings, you get a whole culture chasing their feelings, you become lawless. And when you become lawless, somebody has to step in eventually and lay the law down. And the question is, who's it going to be and what's the law going to be? We all have to have a truth to guide us or you end up in absolute chaos. And that's, that's what we're toying with, I think, as a nation and what we're toying with as a world. And prophetically speaking, I just look at Revelation, I look at Thessalonians, what Paul says, what Jesus said in the Gospels, and it just, it just opens the door for so much of what the Bible calls the Antichrist spirit or the Antichrist himself. And I think you just have to stay tuned to see what happens but James is saying, don't chase your desires. Live for the Lord. Live for the Lord. That's what matters the most. Number four, faith is strengthened when we believe that God has our best in mind. I love that. Faith is strengthened when we believe that God has our best in mind. Look at verse 16. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God, our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. I just love that because in essence, I think what he's saying is don't worship the creation, worship the creator. And understand that God has the best for you. And remember that it's not always going to be given to you in this life. I mean, you've gotten the best in the sense that he's giving you salvation, he's giving you a son, he's giving you a spirit. But there's something greater coming. And then he says, he never changes or casts a, shift, a shifting shadow. Aren't you glad you never have to worry which side of the bed God, God got up on this morning? 
Like which side did you get up on, right? We're variable, we change. God doesn't, he's consistent, he's truthful. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word, his son and the word of God. And we out of all creation, because he spoke us with his word into being, became his prized possession. I love that. Hey, students, I want you to know, no matter what anybody says at school, I don't know if they have bullies at your school or not, no matter how ticked off your parents get with you sometimes, or how you feel treated, I just want you to know you're God's prized possession. And being God's prized possession for students and adults is not based on our performance, it's based on what Christ did for us. Isn't that good news? I am God, you are God's, we are God's prized possession. And I, I, I was reminded as I was looking at this, is a story that I heard many years ago, and I, I went back and looked it up, and uh, it's a story about a man named Rich and Patty White from Tennessee who adopted a little girl, and the story was written up. And uh, her name was Olona, and she was in a third world country, and it took them like two years to get through all the hassle and paperwork. Some of you who have adopted four children know what that's about. Finally, the day came for, for them to take Olona home, and she had to stand before kind of a judge uh, to kind of do the whole official thing. And while that little girl's standing in front of the judge, he reads, and, and part of what he reads goes like this. Inasmuch as Alona, and then her last name, is orphaned and unwanted by any family in this country. And then he repeats it again. Inasmuch as no citizen of this country wishes to have Alona. And then finally all the reading was done, the adoption was official, the parents' hearts were broken as they heard that over and over again being said to their new little girl. And both of them got down on their knees and they said to her, you will never have to hear those words again because we love you and we want you. And that's how God feels about you. He loves you and he wants you. And I'm telling you what, the world, and you know what I mean by the world, Talk about this sinful world does not love you and does not want you. It wants to use you. And if you want to find your identity, if you want to find your sense of worth from the world, you will pay a price for it. It'll cost you a lot. And I want to tell you something. When it's done with you, the world doesn't care about you anymore because it's run by Satan. And all he's, all he's trying to do is he's trying to destroy you. You students hear that? God loves you. You're his prized possession. Don't trust the world. But trust God. But trust God. He loves you very much. All right, number five. Faith is made stronger when you refuse to be reactive. Faith is made stronger when you refuse to be reactive. All right, let's, let's listen to this because, again, given the world we live in, man, we need to hear this. Verse um, 19. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all filth and evil in your lives. You keep in the context, he's, he's really focusing on the words. In the time he'll go on to say it's a very dangerous thing. You'll hear more about that later on. But the filth and evil here has to do with what comes out of our mouth. Then, then look what he says. He says, so get rid of all the filthy and evil out of your lives and humbly accept the word of God that's been planted in your hearts. For it has the power to save your soul. So in essence, what he's saying is, stop focusing on, on this word that comes out, filth and evil, 
and angry and reactive and focused on the word that's come in. We are a very reactive culture, aren't we? I mean, as human beings, we're reactive to begin with, but reactive words and attitudes have been incited like never before in our culture. Have you ever heard of Twitter? I mean, the stuff that gets put out, right, or Facebook or in the media, we just, we don't think, we just, we just, ah, I want to use the word I shouldn't use in here. All right, we just vomit out, I'll use it. We just vomit out whatever's in our minds, whatever's in our hearts, whatever's in our, you know, is going on in us. And it's, it's vitriolic. It is actually inciting. You know, as the leaders go, so goes the nation. We follow the example. And there's just so much hate in our words. And James says, stop it. To his own people, he says, don't get involved. And he says, be quick to listen. Do that right away. But be slow to speak. And then you'll become slow to anger. Consider the word that's been placed in you before you say anything. And I'll be the first one to tell you, i got to work on that. Because, you know, this, this goes into our marriages. It goes into our families. It goes into our friendships. We're so quick to say stuff. Be angry. We're an angry nation, an angry culture. If we're going to be spiritually fit, we've got to step back from that. If we're going to make a difference in the world... We gotta step aside from that. We gotta speak truth, we gotta speak it in love. Speak the truth, yes, sometimes we gotta say some hard things, we gotta call out some hard things, but when you do it, you do it with a spirit of humility, knowing how imperfect you are. Not with a sense of, I'm more righteous, I'm better than you are. And you know, I know you've heard that before, I've preached on it before, but I feel like it's something we almost have to hear every day. Because of the, this continued pressure that we, that we face in the culture that is is all around us. A friend of mine puts it this way, go low, go slow, don't blow. <laughs> Maybe that's a way to remember what was said here. Finally, faith is strengthened when you put it into action. Faith is strengthened when you put it into action. <clears throat> Verse uh, 22. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself. Religion is worthless. Another way of saying is stop focusing on what's coming out of your mouth. And then he gets real specific about doing. He says, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God, the Father, means caring for orphans and widows in the distress, refusing to let the world corrupt you. Hear what he's saying? Stop letting the world corrupt you. But then also, don't just talk about God. Do something. And that's James' big deal. Prove your faith by your actions. Obey. Don't just listen, but do the word. I read about an eight-year-old in 2017 who was in USA Today um, who, whose parents went to bed early one night and he got a hankering for a cheeseburger at the Golden Arches. And so he turned on YouTube. I love watching YouTube fix-it videos. Anybody here do that besides me? 
if you're helpless like me, you have to. And I've actually been able to fix some things around the house watching YouTube videos, except Marsha won't let me watch the ones that have anything to do with plumbing ever since our, ever since our plumbing disaster in our house, all right? You can learn a lot from YouTube videos. Well, he watched a YouTube video on how to drive. And after he watched the YouTube video on how to drive, he bundled up his four-year-old sister and put her in the car and drove a mile and a half to get a cheeseburger at McDonald's. Let me uh, pick up the news story for you. Here we go. Ready? An eight-year-old Ohio boy with a craving for a cheeseburger drove himself and his four-year-old sister to McDonald's Sunday night after learning how to drive by watching YouTube videos. <laughs> Police arrived at McDonald's in East Palestine, Ohio around 8 p.m. Sunday after receiving multiple calls from people who saw the young boy driving. According to authorities, the children headed to McDonald's after the parents fell asleep early. During the mile-and-a-half trip, the eight-year-old boy obeyed all traffic laws and drove effortlessly through downtown, East Palestinian patrolman Jack Kohler told the Times. He didn't hit a single thing on the way there. It was unreal, he said. The eight-year-old used money from his piggy bank to pay for the food. The workers thought that the parents were in the back, but obviously they weren't. Kohler said a family friend who was inside the restaurant spotted the children and called their, I think this is interesting, called their grandparents who later, who later picked them up. Mom and dad were still sleeping. No charges were filed, by the way. Isn't it amazing what you can, isn't it amazing what this eight-year-old learned and did? I just wish we would do the same thing. I just wish we looked to the Word of God to find out how to handle our marriages, how to handle our families, how to deal with our friends. How to, how to overcome temptation, how to make good decisions, how to handle money, and on and on it goes. It's, it's YouTube in words. And James says, you know, real true religion is when you take what you read and you put it into practice. And he isolates the least of these as the ones who need to receive our faith in practice. And I just want to say to you as a congregation, and I mean this in the best way, I am proud of you. I'm proud of Wooddale Church. You know, we've talked about becoming an epicenter of hope. We've launched Seven Corners as an example, and we have more hope to bring to this world. And you guys are so involved in that, and I thank God for that. Let's not stop. We have a wonderful ministry here. We've branded it We Are Four, and uh, we have a lot of ministries we partner with, especially Minneapolis-St. Paul, that are reaching out to least of these. You can go to weare4.com if you want to learn more about those ministries. We have events that have happened. We have events that are coming up that you'll be hearing about. It's one of the main ways that we bring hope to others. But I want to tell you about a Wooddaler. He happens to be a sergeant in the Minneapolis Police Department. His name is Grant Snyder. Grant is the liaison with homeless and vulnerable people in Minneapolis. Prior to that, he was lead detective in the unit that deals with uh, sex trafficking. And he's still uh, the person who's responsible for, he's the director of law enforcement training for the International Association of Human Trafficking. He's a busy guy. But you know, as a follower of Christ, as part of our Whitdale family, you know what he does? On his own, he steps out because he cares about the homeless people and he provides meals, breakfast for them. He makes up his own portable kitchen, and he just tries to care for them. And he asked one of our We Are Four teams, Amy, recently, if any wood dealers would ever be interested in helping him by volunteering. 
So if you want to help Grant Snatter, he's a Wooddaler who loves Jesus and loves the homeless. If you want to make your practice your religion, here's an opportunity. Just go to Involve Minnesota. It's on Facebook. You'll hear all about Grant Snyder and what he's doing, Involve Minnesota, or contact one of our worldwide staff, kathy.emerson at wooddale.org, and they're more than happy to link you up with Grant or to link you up with any of our We Are Four ministries. I want to remind you, we help free set in India. I want to remind you, and they take girls off the street in sex trafficking. I want to remind you that we're supporting widows and orphans in the Middle East, in uh, Jordan, in Amman, in Aqba. I want to remind you that every TTI, every church we plant with TTI is required to take care of orphans and widows. And your 20 cents to the dollar makes a huge difference around the world. But your service and involvement here in the Twin Cities is also making a big difference. And I just want you to know that. And I just want to say thank you. But I want you to know that in these next few years, we've got to do a lot more about bringing hope to people. Would you agree? It is the only way, listen, it's the only way we're going to change our little place in the world. It's the only place we're going to experience ultimate fulfillment.